Hey guys, on California Haunts Radio tonight, I'm going to be reading from Yuletide Around the World, a study of Christmas traditions from different countries. The book was written in 1908, so it should prove to be a very interesting read. See you in about a minute. Grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey guys, welcome to the show tonight. I hope everybody's had a great couple days. Happy holidays. Uh, we're broadcasting tonight live on TikTok as well as Facebook, YouTube. Look at this. I even left my thing hanging. Ah, don't do that. I'm getting, I'm getting old. I'm getting old now. I left my thingy hanging. Anyway, we're broadcasting live on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Twitch. Uh, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal need, we can get to you. It might take us a while. California is a fairly big state, and we have everything. We have ocean, you know, surfing and all that good stuff. We also have um, mountains. We have high desert, low desert. We've got a lot of rural areas, and that's why it might take us one or two days to get you to help you, but we will do that. And in the case that we can't get to you, Quick enough, we do have psychics that can, that, that can phone you, and so in most cases, they can settle down what's, you know, what's been going on, assuming it's paranormal. Okay, that being said, if you like what you see tonight, and uh, hopefully you guys do over on TikTok, please be sure to hit that like button and the follow button if you haven't followed me already. Uh, we do this usually once a week on Sundays where we'll read normally from a paranormal-themed book, but uh, this month, because it's Christmas coming up. Um, we're reading from a um, what I call a Yuletide book, and this book was written in 1908, and it's all the history of Christmas tradition. So it should be an interesting read tonight. Just to let you know, over on TikTok, that I cannot read. I'm on you're on my iPhone 11, so I cannot read what what you're writing. I have old eyes. I know you're there, and I thank you for being there. So I really appreciate it. Um, also, I do have a goal of 50. Lucy the Llamas, you guys don't have to do it, but uh, I, I, these goals I use to, to fund my show. We air uh, Sunday through Friday every week, and uh, we have guests on. Uh, like I said, Sunday is a reading day for a paranormal book, and the rest of the week we have interesting paranormal guests. You know, we we'll talk about cryptids, UFOs, and things like that. So, like I said, that just helps fund everything for me. So I really appreciate it. The other thing I like to do, because I'm building up my channel, if you could get me 4,000 likes today, that would be really cool. Just to double tap that screen. Same thing over here, Facebook and YouTube. Uh, the, the goal here is to show me some love, so show me some thumbs up and some happy faces and things like that. And uh, comment. Be sure you comment. And if you haven't done so already on Facebook, please be sure to hit that follow button. YouTube, if you haven't done so already and you like what you hear tonight, Please be sure to hit that subscribe button over on YouTube. 
Anyway, I'm going to start reading. I'm going to read for about an hour. But this is, like I said, this is um, Yuletide. I call it Yuletide from around the world, but the actual title of the book is Yuletide from different lands. So uh, it's, an inter it's going to be interesting because, like I said, it was written in 1908. All right? So we'll get on with that. And so Yuletide in Many Lands by Mary Pog I don't know if I can say it. Pogue Pringle and Clara A. Erwin. And the book is uh, located in a library that uh, has no copyright on it. So the copyrights expired on the book. So there's nothing like that. So I don't need permission from anybody to read this book. So uh, sit back, you know, put, put your feet up and uh, enjoy. Eat, eat your dinner, do whatever you're doing and enjoy. And please be sure to double tap that screen over on TikTok. So what we're going to talk about, chapter one, is ancient civilization. So here we go. It's called Yuletide of the Ancients. Who'd have figured, right? So here we go. As early as 2,000 years ago before Christ, Yuletide was celebrated by the Arians. They were sun worshippers and believed the sun was born each morning and rode across the upper world and sank into his grave at night. Day after day, as the, sun power, as the sun's power diminished, these primitive people feared Try to get this up higher, a little higher so I can read it. Okay. Day after day, as the sun's power diminished, these primitive people feared that he would eventually be overcome by darkness and forced to remain in the upper world in the underworld. When, therefore, after many months, let's see, after many months, he apparently wheeled about and grew stronger and stronger. They felt that he had been born again. So it came about that at Hulutid, I have no idea what that is, but the, well, the turning time, there was a great rejoicing at the annual rebirth of the sun. In the myths and legends of these, our Indo-European ancestors, we find the origin of many of the Yuletide customs now in vogue. Here's a footnote. According to the, the younger Edda, Wolden or Odin, the pioneer of the north, a descendant of Saturn, fled out of Asia, going through Russia to Saxland, which is Germany. He conquered that country and left one of his sons as ruler. Then he visited Franklin, Jutland, Sweden, and Norway and established each one as his, each one of his many sons on the throne. This pioneer traveler figures under nearly 200 different names, and so it is difficult to follow him in his as he wanders. As Wolden, he established throughout the north the, the northern nations many as Wolden, right? Yeah. As Wolden excuse me, Golden, he established throughout the northern uh, nations many of the observances and customs common to the people of Northern today. The Edda gives an ancient account of Baldur, the sun god, who was slain because of the jealousy of Loki, who's the fire god. Loki knew that everything in nature except the mistletoe had promised not to injure the great Baldur. So he searched for the mistletoe until he found it growing on an oak tree on the eastern slope of Valhalla. He cut it off and returned to the place where the gods were amusing themselves by using Baldur as a target, hurling stones and darts and trying to strike him with their battle axes. But all these weapons were harmless. Then Loki, giving the twig of the mistletoe to, to the blind, were harmless. I'm sorry, to the blind to the blind god Hoder, directed his hand 
and induced him to throw it. When the mistletoe struck Balder, it was it pierced him through and through, and he fell lifeless. So on the floor lay Balder dead and round and round. Lay quickly strewn swords, axes, darts, and spears, which all the gods in sport had idly thrown at Balder, whom no weapon pierced or clove, but in his breast stood fixed the, the fatal bow of mistletoe, which Locke the accuser gave to Holder, and unwittingly Holder against that alone Balder's life no charm. Footnote number two from Matthew Arnold's Balder Dead. Great excitement prevailed among the assembled gods and goddesses when Balder was struck dead and sank in, in the, into hell. And they would have slain the god of darkness had it not occurred during their peace stead, which was never to be desecrated by deeds of violence. The season was supposed to be one of, the, one of peace on earth and goodwill to man. This is generally attributed to the injunction of the angels who sang at the birth of Christ. But according to a much older story, the idea of peace and goodwill and Yuletide was taught centuries before Christ. Footnote 3. According to Edda, gifts from the gods and goddesses were laid on Baldur's beer, and he, in turn, sent gifts back from the realm of darkness into which he had fallen. However, it probably is from the Roman Saturnalia that free exchange of presents and the spirit of, of revelry have been derived. The Druids held the mistletoe in great reverence because of its mysterious birth. When the first new growth was discovered, it was gathered by the white-robed priests who cut it from the main bough with a golden sickle never used for any other purpose. The food peculiar to the season of rejoicing has retained many features of the feasting recorded among the earlier people. The boar made his appearance in mythological circles when one was offered as a gift to Frey, god of rain, sunshine, and the fruits of the earth. This boar was a remarkable animal. He could run faster than a horse, through the air and over water. Darkness could not overtake him, for he was symbolical of the sun, his golden bristles typifying the sun's rays. At one time, the boar was believed to be emblematical, emblematical of golden grain, as he was the first to teach mankind the art of plowing. Because of this service, he was most revered by our mythological ancestors. In an account of a feast given in Valhalla to the dead heroes of many battles, so, I'm, trying, I'm trying these names, guys, I'm really trying. Said the Rimmer, a sacred boar was served. Huge pieces were, were apportioned to the deceased heroes, and the meat had such a, 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 a revitalizing effect that restored it to life, they called for arms and began to fight their battles over again. An abundance of heavenly mead from the goats, milk, and honey was provided for the feast, and on occasion ale, too, was served. Toasts were usually drunk in honor of Brago, god of poetry, eloquence, courage, and valor, as they tossed off horn after horn of mead and ale. Each time their mighty valor grew until there was no limit set to their attainments. It is possible that their boastful pleasures may have given rise to the term to brag. Apples were the favorite fruit, as they prevented the approach of age and kept the gods and goddesses perpetually young and vigorous. Certainly, Yuletide was a merry season among the ancient people and feasted, drank, and danced in honor of the return of the sun, the god of light and new life. 
when messages went through the various countries bearing tidings of a new religion and of the birth of a son who brought light and new life into the whole world, the whole world, they endeavored to retain as many as the established customs as possible, but gave to the old-time festivals a finer character and significance. As the fact of Christ's birth was not recorded there, and there was no certainty as to its date, the early Christian fathers were wisely ascribed it to Yuletide, changing the occasion from the birthday of the sun to that of the sun. For a while, the birth of Christ was celebrated on dates varying from the 1st to the 6th of January. On the dates of certain religious festivals, such as Jewish Passover or the Feast of the Tabernacles, but the 25th of December, the birthday of the sun, was ever the favorite date. Pope Julius, who reigned from 337 to 352 AD, after a careful investigation considered it settled beyond doubt that Christ was born on or about the 25th of December. And by the end of the 5th century, that date was very generally accepted by Christians. The transition from the old to the new significance of Yuletide was brought about so quietly and naturally that it made no great impression on the mind of the masses, so nothing authentic can be learned of the early observance of Christmas. The holly, laurel, mistletoe, and other greens used by the Druids still served as decorations of the season, not as a shelter for fairies, as in former days, but as emblems of resurrection and of immortal hope. The glorious luminary of day, whether known as Balder, Baal, Sol, or any other of the innumerable names by which it was called by the primitive peoples, still gladdens the hearts of mortals at Yuletide by turning back, as of old, only today it yields its, its place to a superior power, in whose honor Yuletide is observed. All Christendom owes a debt of gratitude to its pagan forebears for the pleasant features of its many holidays, and especially for those of Yuletide. The fathers of the early church showed rare wisdom in retaining the customs of these anti-Christian festivals, imbuing them with the spirit of the new faith, making them emblematic of a pure love and hope. New Year's Day as a feast day is one of the oldest, if not the oldest on record. It is mentioned by Tacticus in the first century, but first referred to as Christian festival about the year 567. In Rome, the day was dedicated by Numa to the honor of God Janus, for whom Julius Caesar named the month of January. Numa ordained that it should be observed as a day of good humor and good fellowship. Old grudges and hard feelings were to be forgotten. Sacrifices of cake, wine, and incense were to be made to the two-faced God who looked forward and backward. I remember seeing pictures of that. <laughs> Men of letters, mechanics, and others were expected to give to the God the best they had to offer of their respective arts. It was a great occasion of the entire year, as it is now in many countries. The day of the New Year's Day has varied among different nations. Among the Egyptians, Chinese, Jews, and Romans, it has been observed on dates varying from March 1st to December 25th. It was as late as the 16th century before the date of January 1st was universally accepted as the new year by the Romans. Nations retaining the Gregorian calendar, such as Russia and Greece, observe it 13 days later than those who reckon time by the Julian calendar. Among northern nations, the love of fire 
and light originated the custom of kindling bonfires to burn out the old year and destroy all evil connected with its past. Light has long been an expression of joy and gladness among all branches of the Aryan race. Aryan race, not Aryan. A-R-Y-A-N. The Greek and Latin churches still term Christmas the Feast of Lights and make it a period of brilliancy in church at home. The Protestant covers the Christmas tree with lighted candles and builds a glowing fire on the hearth. The innate love of light and warmth. The inheritance from the sun worshippers and ages past is always dominant in humanity at Yuletide festivals. The king of parentheses, the king of light, oh, quotes, I'm sorry, quotes, the king of light, father of age time, hath brought about the day, which is the prime, to the slow gliding moss, when every eye wears symptoms of a sober jollity, and every hand is ready to present some service in real, in real compliment. King Olaf's Christmas. At Drothian, Olaf the king heard the bells of Yuletide ring. As he sat in his banquet hall, drinking nut-brown ale with his bearded berserks, hale and tall. Three days his Yuletide feast, he held his bishops and priests, and his horn filled up to the brim. But the ale was never too strong, nor the sage man's tale too long for him. It's a poem. I can't remember. Or his drinking horn, the sign he made the cross divine, as he drank and muttered his prayers. But the Benzerks evermore made the sign of the hammer of Thor over theirs. The gleams of the firelight dance upon helmet and halberd and lance, and laugh in the eyes of the king as he cries to Halford the Skald, gray bearded, wrinkled and bald, sing. Quote, sing me a song divine with the sword in every line. And this shall be thy reward. And he loosened the belt at his waist, and in front of the singer placed his sword. Curing bitter of the hake on the good, wherewith uh, the stroke he hewed, the, the millstone through and through, and footbreath of the thorn for the strong, were neither so broad nor so long, nor so true. Then the skull took his harp and sang, and loud through the music rang, the sound of that shining word and the harp strings a clangor made, as if they were struck with a blade or of a sword. Okay? And the berserks roundabout broke forth in a shout that made the rafters ring. They smote with their fists on the board and shouted, Long live the sword and the king. But the king said, O oh my son, I missed the bright word in one of thy measures in thy rhymes. And Helford the skull replied, in another, multiplied three times. Multiplied three times. Then King Olaf raised the hilt of iron, cross-shaped in guilt, and said, "Do not refuse count well, and gain in the loss. Thor's hammer and Christ's cross. Choose." And Halford, the skull said, "This in the name of dread of the Lord I kiss, who won it was crucified, and a shout went round the board." in the name of Christ the Lord, who died. Then over the waste of snows, the noonday sun uprose, to the driving mist revealed, like the lifting of the host, by instant clouds almost concealed. 
On the shining wall, a vast and shabby cross was cast from the hilt of the lifted sword, and in the foaming cups of ale, the berserk's drink was hail to the Lord. That's Henry Wadsworth's Longfellow. It was a poem. Okay. All right, so we're at chapter two, and we're going to be talking about Yuletide in England. Christians in the old, in old time did rejoice in feasts at this blessed tide. That's an old carol from England. Okay? Again, if you like what you hear, please uh, double tap that screen, double tap that screen, because we're learning some history tonight about Christmas and the celebration of Yuletide. No country has entered more hardly into the Yuletide observance in England. From the earliest known date, her people have celebrated this festival with great ceremony. In the time of the Celts, it was principally a religious observance. But this big, broad-shouldered race added mirth to it, too. They came to the festivities in robes made from skins of brittle cows and wearing their long hair flowing and entwined with holly. The druids of the temples kept the consecrated figures or fires sorry, burning briskly. All the household fires were extinguished, and anyone wishing to rekindle the flame at any time during the twelve days preceding Yuletide must buy the consecrated fire. The druids also had a rather unique custom of sending their young men around with Yuletide greetings and branches of mistletoe. Each family receiving this gift was expected in return to contribute generously to the temples. With the coming of the Saxons, higher, higher revelry reigned, and a Saxon observance of Yuletide must have been a jolly sight to see. In the center of the hall, upon the open hearth, placed a huge fire with its column of smoke pouring out through an opening in the thatched roof, or, if beaten by the wind, wandering among the beams above. The usually, the, the usually large family belonging to the house gathered in this big living room. The table stretched along one side of the room, and up and down its great length, the guests proceeded in couples. Between them was a half-biscuit of bread to serve as a plate. Later on, this would be thrown into the, into the alms basket for distribution among the poor. Soon, the servers... Soon the servers entered carrying long iron spits on which they brought pieces of meats, fish, and fowls that had been roasted in ice and pans, iron pans, suspended from tripods out in the yard. Fingers were used instead of forks to handle the food, and the half-biscuit plates received the grease and juices and protected the handsome board cloth, bone cloth. There was an abundance of food, for the Saxons were great eaters, Besides flesh, fish, and fowls, their gardens furnished plenty of beans and other vegetables, and their orchards produced raspberries, strawberries, plums, sweet and sour apples, and cod apples, or quinces. The cider and stronger drinks were quaffed from the quaint round-bottomed tumblers, which, they could not stand up, had to be emptied at a drought. Got. The Saxons dined at about 11 o'clock, and as business was not pressing in those days, could well afford to spend hours at the feast, eating, drinking, and making merry. After everyone had eaten, games were played, and these games are the same as our children play today, handed down to us from the old Saxon times. When night came, and the, 
and the eye holes or windows no longer admitted the light of the sun, long candlesticks dipped in wax were lighted and fastened into sockets on the sides of the hall. Then the makers, or bards, as they came to be called in later days, sang of the gods and goddesses, or of the marvelous deeds done by the men of old. Out of doors, huge bonfires burned in honor of Mother Night, and to her, also, peace offerings of Yule Cakes were made. It was the Saxon who gave to the heel all the cell of the Celts, and the pretty name of Mistletoe, or, or Mistleton, meaning a shoot or tine of a tree. There was jollity beneath the mistletoe that is now, and then everybody believed in its magic powers. It was the sovereign remedy for old diseases, but it seems to have lost its curative power, for the scientific men of the present time failed to find that it possesses any medical qualities. Remember, this book was written in 1908. Later on, when the good King Alfred was on the English throne, there were greater comforts and luxuries among the Saxons, descendants, of the settlers had built halls for their families near the original homesteads. And the wall that formerly surrounded the home of the settler was extended to accommodate the new homes until there was a settler who was extended. Okay, I'm sorry, I got lost. Until, <laughs> until there was a town within the enclosure. Yule within these homes was celebrated with great pomp. The walls of the hall were hung with rich tapestries, the food was served on gold and silver plates, and the tumblers, through sometimes made of wood or horn, were often of gold and silver too. In these days, the family dressed more lavishly. Men wore long flowing ringlets and forked beards. Their tunics of woolen, leather linen, or silk reached to the knees and were fastened at the waist by a girdle. Usually, a short cloak was worn over the tunic. They, they bedecked themselves with all the jewelry they could wear, bracelets, chains, rings, brooches, headbands, and other ornaments of gold and precious stones. Women wore their best tunics made either of woolen woven in many colors or silk embroidered in golden flowers. Their abundant tresses, curled by means of hot irons, were confined by the richest head rails, the more fashionable were cuffs and bracelets, earrings or earrings and necklaces, and painted their cheeks more of a more nectar flesh hectic flesh flush. God excuse me, it's this spell this stuff spelled weird. I'm trying to read through it. In the fifteenth and sixteenth centuries, the magnificence of the Yuletide observance may be said to have reached its height, and the old baronial halls were Quote, the fire, with well-dried logs supplied, went roaring up the chimney wide. Christmas was kept with great jollity. It was considered unlucky to have the holly brought into the house before Christmas Eve. So throughout the week, merry parties of, of young people were out in the woods gathering green boughs. And on Christmas Eve, with jest and song, they came in laden with branches to decorate the hall. Quote, lo, now has come our joyfulest feast. Let every man be jolly. Each room with, with, with ivy leaves be dressed, and every post with holly. Later on, men rolled in the huge yule log, emblematic of warmth and light. It was of oak, if possible. The oak being sacred to Thor was rolled in place among amidst song and merriment. 
In one of these songs, the first stanza is, quote, Welcome be thou, heavenly king. Welcome born on this morning. Welcome for whom we shall sing. Welcome, Yule. The third stanza is addressed to the crowd. Quote, Welcome be ye that are here. Welcome all and make good cheer. Welcome all another year. Welcome, Yule. End quote. Each member of the family, seated in turn upon the log, saluted it, hoping to receive good luck. It was considered unlucky to consume the entire log during Yule. If good luck was to attend that household during the coming 12 months, a piece ought to be left over with which to start the next year's fire. Quote, Part must be kept wherewith to tend the Christmas log next year, and where tis safety kept, that friend can do no mischief there. End quote. The boar's head held the principal place of honor at the dinner. So during September and October, when the boar's flesh was at its best, Hunters with well-trained packs of boarhounds set out to track the savage animal. They attacked the, the boar with spears or surrounded him and drove him into the nets. He was a ferocious antagonist to both the dogs and men, and when sore pressed would wheel about, prepared to fight the, to the death. Before the dogs could grip him by the ear, his one weak point, and pin him down, his sharp teeth would often wound or even kill both the hunter and his dogs. The pluckier the animal, the louder the praise sung in his honor when his head was brought to the hall. The great head, properly soused, was borne in an immense salver by the old blue-coated serving man on Christmas Day. He was preceded by the trumpeters and followed by the mummers, and thus in the state the boar's head was ushered in and assigned to its place on the table. The father of the family, or head of the household, laid his hand on the dish containing the boar of atonement. As it was at one time called, okay, swearing to the faithful, swearing to be faithful to his family and to fulfill all the obligations as a man of honor. This solemn act was performed before the carving of every man present. The carver had to be a man of undaunted courage and untarnished reputation. Next, in honor of the feast, was the peacock. It was sometimes served as a pie, with its head protruding from one side of the crust and its widespread tail from the other. More often, the bird was skinned, stuffed with, herb, stuffed with herbs and sweet spices, roasted, and put into its skin again. When with the head erect and tail outspread, it was borne into the hall by a lady, as was singularly appropriate, and given the second place on the table. The feudal system gave, spoke, gave scope for much magnificence at Yuletide. At a time when several thousand retainers were fed daily at a single castle or on a baron's estate, preparations for the Yule feast, the great feast of the year, were necessarily on a large scale. And the quantity of food reported to have been prepared on such occasions is perfectly appalling to 20th century feasters. Footnote number four. The Earl of Warwick had some 30,000. Massinger wrote, quote, Men may talk of country Christmases, their 30-pound buttered eggs, their piles of carp's tongue, their pheasants drenched with abergus, abergus, the carcasses of three fat weathers bruised for gravy, to make sauces for single peacock, yet their feasts were fast. 
compared with the cities. In 1248, King Henry III held a feast in Westminster Hall for the poor, which lasted a week. Four years later, he entertained 1,000 knights, peers, and other nobles who came to attend the marriage of Princess Margaret with Alexander, King of the Scots. He was generally assisted by the Archbishop of York, who gave 2,700 pounds, besides 600 fat oxen, a truly royal Christmas present, whether extorted or given of free will. More than a century later, Richard II held Christmas at Litchfield, and 2,000 oxen and 200 tons of wine were consumed. This monarch was accustomed to providing for a large family, and he kept 2,000 cooks to prepare the food for the 10,000 persons who dined every day at his expense. I think Henry VIII, not to, not to be outdone by his predecessors, kept one yuletide at, at which the cost of the cloth of gold that was used alone amounted to 600 pounds. Tents were erected within the spacious hall from which came the knights to joust. In tournaments, beautifully artificial gardens were arranged out of which came the fantastically dressed dancers. The Morris dance came into vogue in England during the reign of Henry, VIII, Henry VIII and and long continued to be a favorite. The dancers were decorated from crown to toe in gay ribbon streamers and cut all manner of antics from the amusement of the guests. This dance held the place of the Yule that the Fool's Dance formerly held during the Roman Saturnalia. Henry VIII's daughter, Elizabeth, I did get it right, ha, kept the season in great magnificence in Hampton Court where plays written for the occasion were presented. The poet Henrik favored. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I, I don't read Roman numerals well, so I, I think it's amazing that I got Henry VIII. I, you know, I don't know if it was an educated guess or what. So here's the quote: "Of Christmas sports, the wassail bowl, thus housed up after Fox's hole." End of quote. This feature of Yule observance, which is usually attributed to Rowena, daughter of Vortigern, dates back to the Grace Cup of the Greeks and Romans, which is also supposed source. The bumper. According to good authority, the word bumper came from the grace cup, which Roman Catholics drank to, drank to the Pope, Al Bon Pierre. The wassail bowl, a spice ale, had continued in favor ever since the Princess Rowena bade her father's guest wassail. Okay, here's where you come to wassailing. The offering of gifts in Yule has been observed since the offerings were first made to the god Frey for a fruitful year. In olden times, one of the favorite gifts received from tenants was an orange stuck with clothes, which the master was to hang in his wine, his wine vessels to improve the flavor of the wine and prevent it, its molding. Ah. As lords received gifts from their tenants, so it was the custom for kings to receive gifts from their nobles. Elizabeth received a goodly share of her wardrobe as gifts from her courtiers. And if the quality or quantity was not satisfactory, the givers were unceremoniously informed of the fact. In 1561, she received at Yule a present of a pair of black silk stockings knit by one of her maids, and never after would wear those made of cloth. Under clothing of all kinds, sleeves richly embroidered and bejeweled, in fact, everything she needed to wear were given to her as she was completely fitted out at the this, at this season. In 1846, Sir Henry Cole is said to have originated the idea of sending Christmas cards to friends. They were the size of small visiting cards, often bearing 
a small colored design, a spray of holly, a flower, or a bit of mistletoe, and the compliments of the day. Joseph Crandall was the, was the first publisher. Only about 1,000 were sold that first year. But by 1862, the custom of sending one of these pretty cards in an envelope or with gifts to friends became general and has now spread to other countries. During the Reformation, the custom of observing Christmas was looked upon as sacrilegious. It, sa it savored of proper, I mean, of popery. I'm trying, guys. And in the narrowness of the light, then donning the festival was abolished except in the Anglican and Lutheran churches. Tenants and neighbors no longer gathered in the hall on Christmas morning to partake freely of the ale. Blackjacks, cheese, toast, sugar, and nutmeg. If they sang at all, it was one of the pious hymns considered suitable and sufficiently doleful for the occasion. One wonders if the young men ever, ever longed for their sport that they used to have on Christmas morning when they seized any cook who had neglected the boil, the hacken, and running her around the marketplace at full speed, attempted to shave her out of laziness. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that's why, you know, like Thanksgiving, they have the 5K runs, right? Footnote 5. Authorities differ as to whether this was a big sausage or a plum pudding. Protestants were protesting against the observance of the day. Puritans were working toward its abolishment. And finally, on December 24th, 1652, Parliament ordered that no observance shall be had on the 5th, the 20th day of December, commonly called Christmas Day, nor any solemnity used or exercised in churches upon that day in respect thereof. Okay? Then Christmas became a day of work and no cheer. The love of fun, which must be which was fine vent, was expended at New Year, when the celebration was similar to that formerly observed at Christmas. But people were obliged to bid farewell to the Christmas prince who used to rule over Christmas's festivities at Whitehall. And those short reign, and who short always, one of rare pleasure and splendor. He and other rulers of pastimes were dethroned and banished from the kingdom. Yule cakes, which the feasters used to cut in slices, toast, and soak in spicy ale, were not to be eaten, or certainly not on Christmas. It was not even allowable for the pretty Yule candles to be lit. Christmas has never regained its former prestige in England. Year after year it has been more observed in churches and families, but not in the wild, boisterous, hearty style of the olden times. Throughout Great Britain, Yuletide is now a time of family reunions and social gatherings. Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and the islands each retain a few of their own peculiar customs but they are not observed to any extent. In Ireland, or at least in some parts, they still indulge in the drinking of what is known as lamb's wool, which is made by bruising roasted apples and mixing the juice with oil or milk. This drink, together with apples and nuts, is considered indispensable on Christmas Eve. England, of all countries, has probably known the merriest of Yuletides. Certainly the merriest during those centuries when the mummers of yore battle to each and all. Quote, a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, your pockets full of money and your cellar full of beer. End quote. There seems always to have been more or less anxiety felt regarding New Year's Day in England. For, if the morning be red and dusky, 
if the notes of your robberies and strife. If the grass, yeah, if the grass grows in Jennifer, Jennifer, it grows the worse for all the year. And then, very much depended on the import of the chapter to which one opened the Bible on this morning. If the first visitor chanced to be a female, our luck, ill luck was sure to follow. Although it should, although why it should is not explained. Okay. It was very desirable to obtain the cream of the year from the nearest spring, which Maiden sat, sat up to till after midnight to obtain the first pitcherful of water, supposed to possess remarkable virtues. Modern plumbing and city water pipes have done away with this observance. Although the custom still prevails of sitting up to see the old year out and the year in. There was also keen anxiety felt as to how the wind blew on New Year's Eve 4. Quote, if the New Year's Eve night wind blows south, it beckoneth warmth and growth. If west much milk and fish in the sea, if north much cold and storm there will be. If east the trees will bear much fruit, if northeast flee it man and brute. At Christmas time. At Christmas time the fields are white, and hill and valley all bedight. With snowy splendor well on high, the black crow sail athwart the sky. Morning for summer days gone by at Christmas time. At Christmas time the air is chill, and frozen lies the babbling rill, while sobbingly the trees make moan. For leafy greenness once they own. For blossoms dead and birdlings flown at Christmas time. At Christmas time we deck the hall with holly branches brave and tall. With sturdy pine and hemlock bright, and in the Yule log's dancing light, we tell old tales of field and flight at Christmas time. At Christmas time, we pile the board with flesh and fruit, with flesh and fruit and vintage stored. And mid the and mid the laughter and the glow, we tread the measure soft and slow, and kiss beneath the mistletoe at Christmas time. O God and Father of us all, list thy lowest creatures call. Give of thy joys so high and low, comforting the sorrowing in their woe. Make wars to cease and love to grow at Christmas time. Let not one heart be sad today. May every child be glad and gay. Bless thou tiny children, great and small, in lowly hut or castle hall. And may each soul keep festival at Christmas time. All right, the new year. Quote, a good new year with many blessings in it. Once more go forth and kindly wish and word. A good new year and may all be, begin it. With hearts by noble thought and purpose stirred. The old year's over with its joy and sadness. The, the path before it is, is untried and dim. But let us take it with the first with a step of gladness. For God is there and we can trust in him. What of the buried hopes? That lie behind us. Their graves may yet grow flowers. So let them rest. Today is ours. And it must find us. Prepared to hope afresh and do our best. God knows what finite wisdom only guesses. Not here from our dim eyes the mist will roll. What we call failures he may deem successes. Who see in broken parts the perfect whole. And if we miss some dear familiar faces. Passed on before us to the time above. Each while we count, through tears, their vacant places. He heals our sorrows with his balm of love. 
No human lot is free from cares, and crosses each passing year will bring shine and shower. Yet, though on troubled seas life's vessels tosses, the storms of earth endure, but for an hour. And should the river of our happy laughter flow neath the sky, nor cloud yet overcast, we will not fear the shadows coming after, but make the most of sunshine while it lasts. A good new year, oh let, let us all begin it, with cheerful faces turning into the light. A good new year, which will have blessings in it, if we but preserve and do all right. E. Matheson Okay, I want to stop at Chapter 3, and we're going to continue this next Wednesday. Hopefully I can get Facebook online, <laughs> get this going with Facebook. I'm going to try and figure out what went wrong. But I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. I really appreciate it. Again, my name is Charlotte. I'm with the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team. And uh, I've just started this tradition. Uh, you know, I, I'm fascinated by Christmas traditions from around the world, and this is fantastic. You know, and it's going, it's going really way back because, like I said, this book was written in 1908. So I was really, you know, I've been really excited to read this. And I'm learning so much, and I hope you did tonight as well. Tomorrow we're going to be back. Um, we won't be on TikTok tomorrow night. We're going to be over our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. We're going to be talking about Titanic. We're going to, you know, uh, we've done a lot of research on Titanic. And one of, our, one of our mediums, Karen Clark, is going to be with us to uh, do some readings of the boat itself, you know, the ship itself and surrounding waters. So I don't know what she's going to pick up. We're going to find out, and uh, then we're going to cross-research it as well to see how accurate the readings were. But I want to thank everybody for coming, everybody on TikTok that stuck with us uh, through all the mishaps in the beginning. I really appreciate you all, and I will see you. I will be back on Sunday for you guys, and we'll be reading from dark Christmas history stories. So that, that'll be a different kind of book. All right, guys, I'll see you, and thank you so much. Find the button. There it is. Yes. <laughs> okay, coming back over here. Can we get in here? Yeah. All right, I apologize for that. I did not realize that it wasn't going out to Facebook today. I don't know why it didn't go out to Facebook, but it didn't. So I've got to figure out why. Maybe there's something that Facebook thinks is a copyright thing with this book. I don't know. It's just really strange. But uh, I want to get out early today and uh, eat some dinner and relax a little bit. And I apologize for the lateness on this. I um, was busy working out in the yard and lost track of time. So... I didn't get a chance to really do any forwarding, teasing, or anything for that. Anyway, I'll see you guys tomorrow uh, with Karen Clark. It's me and Karen Clark talking about Titanic, and I hope you have a great evening. Well, let's see if this will work. Ah. <laughs>